This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. Uh, today is episode number 559, and we've got Carl Grimes joining us. Carl is with Hayward Healthy Homes and Hayward Score. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsor. IAQ Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Congratulations. Go out to Charlie Cassani Restoration Management Company in Hayward, California, who was first to identify Jay Vestervelt as the environmentalist who termed, coined the term greenwashing regarding the practice of in the hotel industry of putting placards in each room promoting the reuse of towels to save the environment. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday the 27th, September 2019 has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. Name the substance whose dust is responsible for pneumoconiosis. Back to you, Joe. All right. So today's guest is Carl Grimes. Carl started his journey back in 1987 into the IEQ consulting world when he was trying to figure out his own health issues and tracked it down to what he felt were some indoor air quality issues. Uh, since then, he's been helping people in similar situations and in, in all, all around the country, and now he travels the world actually helping people. Uh, he's been uh, in 1999, Carl wrote the book, uh, Starting Points for a Healthy Habitat. I happen to have a copy right here. Uh, Carl, since then, has been an IAQA president. He's been the vice president of practice for the International Society for Indoor Air Quality and Climate. And currently, he is with the Hayward Healthy Homes and Hayward School Group. And we welcome him to today's show. Hello, Carl. Well, good morning, Joe. Good morning, Cliff. Good morning. Great, great to have you, Carl, as always. Uh, I know you've been traveling the world, as always, uh, going to conferences, checking out different new uh, takes on indoor air quality issues, and uh, I wonder if maybe you could update listeners a little bit. Uh, where have you been recently, and what interesting new things are you learning? Uh, well, <laughs> always lots of interesting new things that I'm learning, uh, uh, no, matter, no matter where I go, actually. But uh, this summer, the two notable trips, in fact, they were back-to-back, was in uh, Europe. I was in uh, Lithuania and, I, and also the, the Netherlands in Utrecht. So in Lithuania, I had heard of the country. Uh, I, I knew it was a Baltic country, but I didn't know where it was exactly in Europe. My sense of geography is not very uh, astute. Until I realized that the the Baltics are by the Baltic Sea, which <laughs> which makes sense. So that was number one thing that I learned. And um, uh, do you happen to have a picture that you can put up there? Let's put one up, John. There's one. Looks like a courtyard of some kind. Put up the Red Manor. The Red Manor. All right, let's see what the red banner is. Oh, red building with a tower there. Looks like an old castle of some kind. Yeah, so just a little sense of of history here uh, for not only this country, but then the Netherlands in just a moment. But uh, Lithuania, 
when we were on the, the, the one of the first clues as to what was going on there was um, the Uber driver. Yes, they have Uber in Lithuania from the airport down to Canal, which is, uh, or Kaunas, I guess is the way you pronounce it, K-A-U-N-A-S is where the conference was. The Uber driver was telling me he's he's Russian. Uh, he's living under Lithuania as a free country right now, but his three previous generations of family didn't. His parents lived under the Soviet Union. His grandparents lived under uh, German rule, and his great grandparents lived under uh, Polish rule. Wow! So you can imagine what it would, it would be like to live in a country that that's unstable, that has that many, not just uh, government changes, but regime changes. So the Red Manor picture here, this is up on the top of a hill, heavily forested, where we, where we had our conference dinner. This is the area where, as the guy on the boat tour said, he pointed one direction and said, this is where Napoleon, Napoleon came through. Over here is where the Russians came through, and over there is where the Germans came through. Wow. So, again, great instability. And the Red Manor is this big, you, you're only seeing about half of it here. Uh, the history, we were told, was the Germans occupied this twice, not only during world wars, but, you know, other times. And every time they left, they blew up uh, half the building. So, <laughs> again, massive change, destruction, rebuild, great uh, uh, sustainability here and the ability to recover. That was the one part of Europe where we had the, uh, uh, the, the combination of the indoor, International Society of Indoor Air Quality and the International Society of Environmental Science. The other then one, if you can put up the one that says the, the plaza, this is now in Utrecht, uh, the Netherlands. What's notable about this location, not just Utrecht, but this particular plaza, is that I was there uh, a few years ago, and they actually had a display up. In that plaza is where when Germany invaded the Netherlands, this is where they came in Utrecht. The, the Nazis came into this courtyard and started arresting people beating them. They killed a few of them. They loaded them on trucks and hauled them away. That's the sense of history. Now, that was just the one invasion rather than multiple ones like Lithuania. But this, it's just standing here and realizing that the display at the time when I saw it, they had photographs showing what was happening. And I'm standing there looking at the photograph and then I glance up, there's the building in the photograph. I'm standing right where all that happened and the sense of history and just the impact was amazing. And I wanted to talk about these two things uh, with kind of set the stage for what, what we talk about today and my orientation. You know, Joe, you read part of my biography about how my background on this and I had to figure out what was going on health wise for myself. I've been working with others. One of the key points to that is just like here. I can read about Lithuania. I read about the, the Germans uh, invading Europe and the, even the Germans invading the Netherlands and Utrecht. But until I had that direct experience, mm -hmm. it didn't have the same powerful meaning. So when we talk about the indoor environment, we can read about it. We can go out and study it. We can go out like a lot of people that are listening uh, today and in the past and future and so forth. They go out and they do the forensics. They do the inspection. They assess what they find. And people go out then and they, the contractors then follow that scope of work and they fix it and they have to determine, you know, whether, whether it's working or not, whether, you know, whether it's fixed or not. But if you haven't directly experienced being sick, uncomfortable, ir irritated, headaches, or debilitated by the indoor environment, you really don't 
you really don't have the same experience as the people we work with that have had that experience, the direct experience of what is it really like for that to happen? Just like what is it really like to stand in the courtyard where the, and the, uh, the, the, in World War II, where the Nazis came in and took over the town and started killing people and hauling them away, never to be seen again, or at a place like Utrecht, where four generations of family each lived under a different governmental regime. It's that direct experience rather than the textbook experience or watching it on the, the Discovery Channel or the History Channel or even being in there and doing measurements in the building, if you don't or can't appreciate what it's like for the people that are in that building, you're missing the most important part of that. So that's my long introduction on why I had the photo, why I sent you the photographs that I did, Joe. Well, I appreciate that, Carl. Let me, let me ask you this, though. Um, so... I don't think you're saying that people who haven't experienced this can't evaluate it. Uh, but how do we, how do we, you know, I don't necessarily get, I mean, I get irritated in some indoor environments that are really bad, but I've never had the kind of experience you've had. How do I, uh, how do I do better at understanding that, that side of the equation? That's a really good question. And it's a, it's a key question. And the way you do it um, is, first of all, you have to realize that that's possible. You have to realize that people can become ill, sick, even disabled from the indoor environment. Now, it's not everybody, and the disability is not the huge percentage of people, but it, it but they do exist. And whether it's two percent, like. They used to, researchers and others used to think, or whether it's 10 or 12, uh, or now people are talking about 30, 40% of the people that are being significantly affected. And some figures are, are even putting up above 50% of people that have some sort of reaction to the indoor environment that they have to take some sort of action, whether it's to, um, change something in the house or they need to clean the dust since we're talking about dust today that's where that comes in um, or whether it's bad enough they have to leave or like some of the people that we've got some uh, uh, people with the military spouses that are dealing with the uh, military housing issues right now that are listening in um, they'll force to leave while things are being fixed and they don't know if it's going to be fixed correctly or not. And there's a dispute about whether it is fixed correctly or not. So to get back to your, your question, number one, you have to realize that it's possible. And we've got this big blind spot in people in general. If there's anything wrong with the world, it's not my house. It can't be my house. This is where I go to recover. This is where I go to heal. This is where I go to forget the troubles of the world and the troubles of my life and at work and everything else. This is where I come. This is my castle. This is my domain. Don't mess with me. Don't interfere with it. Leave me alone in my home. And so it's hard to think about that. People in the industry, it's very easy for them to say, look, I've been doing this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And I've been in all these houses and I don't get sick. So how, so why is, uh, how is it possible that everybody else does? Well, a quick answer to that is if it did make you sick, you wouldn't keep doing this work. You'd leave, you'd do something else because you couldn't function if you kept getting sick by going into, into houses or office buildings or uh, factories or, or, or whatever it is. So first is the realization. The second that it can be true for you get kind of through this blind spot. The third part is to ask questions. So often we go in and say, oh, this is what the problem is, or I know how to fix it. We sell you this product. We give you this stuff to spray. Uh, you, we give you the, you know, some kind of product or service. This is what you need without stopping to ask a question to even find out what's going on or what the person's needs are. So, 
you know, conceptual realization, some sort of direct realization that you can connect with the client. And then um, the, the third part is ask questions to find out what their needs are rather than just your needs. It's easily said, difficult to accomplish, but that's the process that, that's the broad outline of the process that you need to go through with this. Oh, as, as someone that, you know, you still to this day have issues in some indoor environments, um, I'm wondering how during your travels to Europe, to the Netherlands and, and to uh, uh, Slovenia, I guess you were in Slovenia, um, what type of Lithuania did you run into? Or Lithuania, I'm sorry, it was Lithuania. Yeah. Um, did you have issues? Were, they, were the hotels there in pretty good shape? I noticed in that one photo... Uh, what looked like rising damp to me. Uh, if you go back to that red brick building there, uh, did you have issues in there? Let's let's see. Uh, there you go. Down that, on that tower, it looks like you've got some rising damp, which is pretty common on these buildings in Europe. Yeah, and uh, this is on the top of a hill, no less. Mm-hmm. Okay, so see that that that's a that's a good eye. People like you and Cliff and others in the industry would notice things like that where most people would be overwhelmed by, by the size of the building and the appearance of it and and uh, the intricacies of some of the up at the top and, you know, walking around it, that sort of thing, wondering they wouldn't notice that 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 part of it. So, yes, um, let me just briefly say to put the, the in context of my experience right now, back 30 some years ago when I was so ill from this that I was disabled that uh, there's a two and a half years or so I couldn't work at all. Um, and then it took about another 10 before I could really work full time, not always on demand, but I could, I could put in hours and actually sometimes outwork other people. I just didn't know the exact time or the, uh, the hours of the day that I would be able to function. Um, by learning in my own life, my own direct experience of what kinds of things were affecting me negatively and learning to identify them and to eliminate them from my life or avoid them or reduce those types of exposures, I was gradually able to reduce the impact on me because I wasn't reacting so often. And eventually, this is part of the 10-year journey, Eventually, I reached a point where I still, even to this day, I still react to the same things that I did 30, 40, 50 years ago even. Didn't realize it back then. I still react to the same things, but it takes a higher, stronger exposure for a longer period of time before I react. And when I do react, I don't react as strongly as I did before, and I recover more quickly. So to the hotel question specifically, um, when, when I go into the hotel, I, I kind of ignore the lobby because so many of them have their signature fragrance <laughs> that they, they put into the lobby. It's not in the rooms. So when I go to my room, I open the door and instead of just walking in, I stop and just smell, step in. What's it like? I'll know within... 10 to 15 seconds, whether this is a room that is okay for me or not. And if it's not, I ask for another room. And sometimes it takes two to three uh, rooms. Uh, uh, A couple of times it's taken uh, four rooms uh, before I can find one that is acceptable. And usually it's a room that hasn't been just cleaned because it's the fragrance of the products and so forth in there. So that's, that kind of gives the background of, how I can do now what I couldn't do before and really to the extreme of so much travel, the airplanes, that sort of thing. I've learned how to take care of myself and avoid the worst of the exposures. Carl, I'm wondering what, what um, presentations, you know, you get to go to all these conferences. Most of our listeners don't. Um, what presentations, new things you learned, um, things that stood out to you would you like to let listeners know about? 
the, the, the number one, which was really striking at the one in Lithuania. Now, this was the combination of the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate that I was a past vice president of and the uh, uh, International Society of Environment, Environmental Sciences. So these are the ones doing measurements of various parts of the indoor environment. What really struck me was how focused so many of the presentations were on people, not just measurements of buildings, not just measurements of, you know, the comfort kinds of things, temperature and humidity and ventilation and draftiness or not, but they were actually looking at the effects on people and what that meant and including the word health rather than just, well, here's a measurement, say, of radon or here's a measurement of carbon dioxide uh, or here's the measurement of dust uh, in, in a in, in, in indoors or here's here's what the components of dust are if we have dust what is the dust made of and they were more looking more for the first time that i've seen in not an orchestrated but an intentional effort to get the more directly to health and to people and this even went to the epidemiology conference, it's the International Society of Environmental Epidemiology that was in Utrecht, the Netherlands. Now you would think that epidemiology, that's the study of the effects of the environment on people, environmental epidemiology, how does the environment affect people? But there's still very, very little dealing with people. But here they had a, uh, they, they, they had uh, somebody that I read about, Philippe Legrand, a uh, brilliant researcher that's done a lot of work on this. He did a presentation on uh, mercury exposure through food primarily, and he showed, and this is high-level research, peer-reviewed studies, etc. and he found that there could be as much as a 20-point swing in IQ uh, depending on mercury exposure for children. And what really opened my eyes there was by making it a people rather than, oh, well, it's 20% of this and 15% of that, or, you know, this is the body system and this is how many get cancer and this is how many, uh, you know, uh, have, say, developmental issues, whatever. I'm used to thinking about the engineering, like from ISIAC and the epidemiology from this organization as this is the physical effects on people. What I'm learning is from them, as they are learning more, is what is not just the physical effect, what's the behavioral effect, but now what is the cognitive effect where it can actually alter IQ of, of people. So that's the real encouraging part of it, that both of these types of organizations are looking more at people. Both of them had more presentations on dust, and I'm going to talk about the dust a, a, a little bit too when when you're ready for that topic. Let's let's um, let's do that at the Cleaning Industry Research Institute uh, conference. I understand you did a presentation, and Cliff was there, and and um, people spoke highly of your presentation. And I think a lot of it uh, revolved around dust. Uh, can you tell listeners a little bit, and then I'll let Cliff jump in and ask a follow up. Sure. Um, so at, at Hayward's score, and just very briefly, it's a, uh, it's a website. It's free to anybody. You go on, it takes about 15 minutes to answer questions about your house, what type of house and physical systems and characteristics of it, how you use the house. You know, do you run exhaust fans when you cook and when you shower? How often do you vacuum? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and then relate that uh, to, to reported symptoms, uh, including which ones improve when you leave the house, only to return when you come back into the house. So out of about uh, 80 different parameters or factors, and all those combinations which measure into the tens of millions of combinations of all those 81 A's, 
uh, our data scientist, Dave Katari, did some uh, statistical analysis on it. And one of the things that popped up that was surprising uh, was dust associated with symptomology. How many symptoms do people report? We've got a list of 23 that they can check off. And that's a separate part. It's not connected with dust or anything else directly in any way. So, you know, the bias uh, is, is uh, uh, dramatically reduced there. And there's only a couple of questions on dust because when we started this, well, uh, three, two years ago, three years ago, five and six years ago that Bill Hayward and I first started with this, um, we didn't really ask a lot of questions about dust. But when Dave was doing his analysis and he used, uh, uh, I think it was four different statistical methods, a couple of regression methods, and there was even a, a machine learning type uh, a method that he used to explore with. What was surprising was that dust came up near the top of every analysis. And the, the most significant one was it was number six of all the factors, but all the other five was not physical characteristics or presence of dust. It had to do with uh, people saying, I think my home is making me sick or not. So it wasn't the characteristics of the house, it was the top five. So of physical characteristics that people were reporting just came out number one or two on all the various uh, methods of analysis that Dave uh, put this through. So that really changed our thinking on it. And uh, so we're, we're refocusing now to include more information, more analysis uh, on dust. Hmm. So what about, uh, I know you at first focused a lot on water damage. Um, you didn't see that same correlation or not as strong with water damage? We, we did see a water damage. And if you put up, uh, I've got a chart there. Uh, I think it's number one of the, the charts that you have there. Okay. Symptom frequency by feel better when leave? No, it's the damp basement and crawl space conditions. Okay. Can you pull that up, there. That's chemical, John. Next one. Sent to think they have mold by maintenance. No. The heading is symptom frequency by damp basement crawl space conditions. Do you have that one? I don't think we have that one, Carl. Okay. Uh, let me just briefly, when, when we look at damp basements and crawl spaces, and a look at each of the 23 symptoms, things like sinus, effect on sleep, increased allergies, mood changes, headaches, stomach, nausea, fatigue, increased use of inhalers, foggy thinking, uh, heart racing, this sort of thing. If there's damp conditions in the basement or crawl space, or especially both, the number of symptoms in every one of those symptoms, the, uh, the 23, increases significantly over conditions where it's a dry basement or crawl space or no basement or crawl space. So there's a very direct, easily seen visual uh, uh, correlation between the dampness of houses, basements and crawl spaces in particular, and the number of symptoms that, uh, that, that, that uh, people report. And is it similar with dust or, or even stronger with dust or are there fewer symptoms? We don't have that data yet. Uh, that's what we do want to, to find. Uh, but overall, everything included, and if you go to the one, you pull, the first one you pulled up a minute ago, symptom frequency by feel better when we leave. Yes, we've got it up now. Okay, so each one of those is showing that People feel better when they leave. They report less symptoms. That's the light blue ones compared to the, the yellow ones. Mm -hmm. They feel, they, they significantly feel better when they leave. So whether it's sinus or sleep or allergies, feeling sick, memory, uh, brain fog, sore throat, what, whatever, what they're reporting is that every one of those symptoms will decrease when they leave the house. So. Whether it's dust or water damage or chemicals or pet dander or dust mites or cockroaches or 
new building materials or whatever, this is kind of the global overview of whatever's going on here. There's there's a significant percentage of people that feel better when they leave the house. So something's going on. Now, it may be that there's other factors in there, like the fluorescent green, lime green shag carpet from the 50s or 60s, and they don't like it. Or what, you can throw in whatever factor. The point is, if there's that significant a difference on every one of those 23 symptoms, then that's something that that warrants further investigation. So while this isn't definitive, it's not causation, there is an association between how people feel indoors, going back to what I said, that right at the very beginning of this is the direct experience. You may not experience it, uh, an inspector may not, the contractor may not, there are other members of your family may not, but if your direct experience is that you feel better when you leave the house then something's going on in the house and that warrants further investigation of some sort. So right now, dust is one of those factors that would be involved in that, uh, but we don't, have the, we don't have the data yet to go into the specifics like I did with the uh, dampness. Carl, how many people now have done their Hayward score? Uh, Last I looked, it was uh, close to 57,000. Great. And, and do you know if the people who tend to take the Hayward score also tend to be people that are having issues with their health in the indoor environments? I mean, would that, and how do you keep that from maybe skewing your data? That's a really good question. And it's an important question. And one of the slides that I that I didn't send you, uh, it actually shows when we had about, I think it was uh, uh, 3,000 people, and uh, uh, it's like 4% were saying that there were no symptoms. They reported no symptoms. When we got up to 12,000 people, now 11% of the uh, respondents were saying that they reported no symptoms. So that's an indication that initially, <clears throat> Um, we had more people that having an issue that were responding to the survey than later because we started with friends and family and we promoted to people that in a way that got the attention of people that were having current problems or more familiar with it. But as we increase uh, the the scope and the, the audience around the country, and this is countrywide, by the way, it follows the population density of the of the country. Uh, we're getting less and less bias, and we have plans underway to directly uh, to directly target people that aren't having a known problem to see what they have. One of the challenges there is if they, if you don't have a problem with your house, you're not going to probably not going to uh, uh, click on this on this website. And the less likely you are to start the survey and the less likely you are to spend 15 minutes to go through and, and pay attention and, you know, to the, to the report that you get and the recommendations for improvement. So that is, a, that is an issue. But things like symptom frequency when they feel better when they leave, the way that question is asked and where it is in the sequence of things, uh, it's not something that uh, people can, like, game the system and say, oh, yeah, 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 this is, this is what I'm going to do. I want to skew the results that way. You always have to be careful of it, but, uh, and we are, we've recognized that we've got indicators where that can happen, but we're moving on. Uh, you know, we need more than 57,000 houses. We need, you know, 100,000. We need 500,000. We meet, need a million houses, and that means we're getting a higher percentage of all the housing units in the country so that that bias is, um, is reduced. Okay, Carl, we, we, we're coming up on halftime. Before we go though, Cliff, do you have a question you want to ask before or after halftime? No, before if I could, Joe. Uh, it's a short question. Carl, you have 57,000 people, uh, and I know that at certain events that Joe and I've been at, uh, Healthy Building Summit, uh, et cetera, uh, you, you were able to grab a cluster of people together at one event. 
What my question is, is in Pittsburgh every year, we have what's called the home show. It's held in downtown Pittsburgh. It takes up the convention center. And I don't know that they move maybe 50,000 people through this thing in, you know, like over a weekend. And I was wondering if you ever went to an event like that uh, and, and just got all different types of people in one place you can get a, and if you haven't i was just suggesting perhaps you do it and I, and I think that you know perhaps they'd give you a free booth or whatever in order to do it because you're doing research for that industry but uh seems like a good way to get a lot of people that's a great idea and um you know there's these various home and home and garden shows uh right. around the country i know denver has one every year it's about three or four days down the convention center and they'll have, you know, 50, 80,000 people go through there. Uh, that, that would be a great one. It would be, how do we, uh, the challenge would be to make ourselves uh, known so that they are aware and that they would stop to, uh, they, they're not going to take the time to sit there with a laptop and, and go through the 15 minutes, even at, you know, the conference that you and Joe put on the, uh, the summit each year, uh, Joe Medosh and I have been there and we've had the laptop set up at times, but so it's, that, it's not an appropriate place, but a card or a QR code that they can capture on their phone or something like that, that they could get that and then take home and then go through it. That would be a great way uh, to do it. And it would tend to get the, this, the part of the population that, uh, uh, the non-reactive part of the population, let me put it that way. So that's a great idea. Thanks, Cliff. You're welcome. All right. We'll be back with the second half of our show with Carl Grimes in about 90 seconds. We've got to thank our sponsors. IAQ Radio Platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at IAQA.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Carl Grimes from Hayward School and Hayward Healthy Homes. Carl, we had two other slides that you sent. I want to put up here real quick for the listeners and people watching online and maybe have you uh, comment on why you sent me three slides and I figured, Hey, I better put these up because I'm sure there's some good stuff in here. So John, there we go. Um, although I'm not seeing it for some reason. Here we go. Symptom frequency by chemical proximity. Okay. So this is one that, uh, you know, we'll look at, we'll focus on the indoor environment. So we're thinking about how does the building affect people? What behaviors by people affect them, like using fragrance products? Uh, they don't ventilate out the moisture from long showers and cooking, and they vacuum really old carpet with lots of pets, and it's not a HEPA filter on it. 
that sort of thing. But this is the one, the reason I include it is that this is usually the one that uh, researchers think about uh, or it strikes them as the most important. Again, remember, they'll focus more on outside. Even the epidemiologists look at the external environment rather than internal environment. So this took on a new significance uh, for us. So we have questions about chemical proximity, like certain things like a golf course, uh, gas station, um, dry cleaners that's within a, a block or so of your house, and then other things like airports and golf courses, industrial plants, chemical sources that are outside the house is within a half mile or a mile of the house. What was striking here is that, again, if there are chemical uh, Excuse, excuse me, chemical sources uh, uh, near the house, people are reporting increased symptoms, the red line here versus the, the blue line where there's no chemical sources. Each of those symptoms, people are reporting an increase based on what's happening outside the house. So, this brings up two important points. One is that what happens inside the house is also affected by outside the house. Uh, and it indicates the characteristics of the house are important because no houses are absolutely airtight. If they were, we would eventually suffocate inside that house. <laughs> so all houses leak, which means is there's an air exchange back and forth, temperature, humidity, and anything that's in the air, anything that's in the moisture, particularly chemicals from sources outside the house that are coming inside the house, and according to this data, is uh, uh, associated with an increase of the number of symptoms that, that, that people report. Okay, let's go to the next one, John. Hey, Joe, if, if, if I could. Go ahead. Carl? Carl? Yes. Going back, going back to the chemical one, it, it would seem to me that that one might have a tendency to be skewed only because certain people, for instance, if there are power lines and you have this controversy about whether power lines are you know, high power uh, electrical lines, whether it's safe or, or whether it's not, or maybe there's fracking going on. You have these public arguments, whether it's safe, whether it's not. And it would seem to me that, you know, when people see here, this type of, uh, it just heightens their awareness. So I'm just wondering, um, I just thought I needed to comment on it. That's all. Yeah, uh, and that's it. Your, your comments and simple questions, Cliff, are usually very astute and challenging, <laughs> which I appreciate. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. So it, it, it brings up another issue here. One is, I hope it increases awareness of people, not to panic and say, oh my God, here's this chart, uh, this is what's making me sick. We don't know that, there's not enough information to determine that, but it's certainly enough to trigger further investigation. If they are near a fracking site, this could be another piece, a data point, another piece of information that they can use to consider that, and if it's the impact on them and their family is significant enough to maybe have someone come out to do measurements of, well, what are the chemicals in the, in the air that away from the fracking site, for example, or the industrial plant? What is in the air right at the site? And then what's in the air inside my house? So they would take that type of investigation to see what is there. but. It still doesn't get to the point of does A cause B? And this is, this is a topic for another show, but it's not what is happening to people in our environment, in our life, inside, outside, whatever. It's not tab A and slot B. It's not binary. It's not yes or no, a one or a zero. It's a system approach. It's a dynamic interaction of everything that's going on that is affecting us. And we can look at what are some of the significant factors or some of the dominant factors 
It takes a lot of effort to really get to that point of causation. And we can argue endlessly about that. How much mold, how much chemicals, which kind of mold, which kind of chemical, or is it dog dander versus mouse dander versus dust mite? The, the simple fact is, from the size that we we saw previously, there's a lot of people out there that feel better when they leave their house, and we don't know why. We need to start finding out why. That's the key point here. And but you raise now another one I want to address, and that is the tendency for people that are being impacted to see something like this and say, "Oh my God, this is what's happening." We have to be very careful of that. We have to be careful that. We, 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 we say enough or even scare people a little bit so they become aware to take actions to start investigating, but not so much that they either become frightened like, you know, deer in the headlights and they freeze and they don't act or they become hypervigilant. And now everything, 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 everything out there is now affecting them and they move so fast from one cause to another that they never stop long enough to figure out what's going on and to take some positive constructive action. So that is you you've actually raised a really key point there Cliff uh about how people can, how people may use or uh, respond to or directly experience some of this data. That's got to be part of the education that goes on with the information as we and the other researchers learn more. Carl, I've got another slide up now. Percent that think they have mold by maintenance. I'm a little confused on what that is. What are we looking at here? Okay, so uh, one of the questions we ask is, do you think you have mold? Okay, it's separate from, you know, isolated from other questions about dampness and leaks and that sort of thing. It's just a simple question. Do you think you have mold? Another question that we have is, how do you describe the level of maintenance that you have? Is it expert maintenance, meaning that it's up to date, it's, it's, uh, it's there, it's up to date, everything's done, or the opposite extreme where it's deferred, it's not been done, uh, maybe not quite dilapidated house, but although that would fit, or somewhere in between of like, yeah, so we've got the expert, we got the deferred, and we got the somewhat. So when our data scientist, David, <coughs> Uh, looks at the data here. He says, okay, well, let's compare the people that say they have mold with, and don't have mold with people that have uh, that said that they have expert maintenance or somewhat or deferred maintenance. Okay, I see. Then okay. what we, yeah, what that shows is that if they've got expert maintenance, uh, the people that, that, that say they have mold is the blue line there of 22%. I see. Okay. So then as you go down to less and less maintenance to the somewhat, that more than doubles. And then when it's deferred maintenance and people report whether they think they have mold or not, whether it's mold or not or something else, because a lot of people, if they have any kind of a reaction, they say it's mold now. But the, but the people that are saying, that are reporting that they've got a problem, they think they have mold, goes skyrockets in houses that don't have up-to-date or even intermediate maintenance. So this is an indication that the maintenance of a home may be more important, and it looks very strongly that it is more important than just whether you it needs a coat of paint or whether you fix the window leak or the, you need a new roof or whatever the maintenance part is, that's affecting people's direct experience, okay? Direct experience is this is what it's like, not this is what caused it. That's different. That's what people in the industry and in the science need to do is figure out what is causing it, what is, what is really happening here, but the direct experience, going back to what I started out with at uh, the beginning of the, the hour here, was the direct experience is people that think they have mold, they're more likely to be in a house that has deferred or poor maintenance. So one of the 
recommendations that we have in our report uh, when people that you know go through and get their score and get their report is if they indicate somewhat maintenance or they indicate deferred maintenance, one of the strongest things we the recommendations is you need to get your maintenance up to date. Here's some kinds of things that you need to do. And now future data, we don't have that yet, but future data would be, okay, you made the changes. Now let's go back and answer these questions and see if you still think you have mold or not. Let's look at the uh, number of symptoms from chemical proximity, because if you're a poorly maintained house, it's probably going to be more leaky than a, than a, a, a well-maintained one. So that's what that slide shows. So even with just simple, simple comparisons without getting into super high-tech, uh, sophisticated statistical analysis, there's just some simple comparisons here that are coming out from the data that nobody stops to think about. Carl, okay? what, so that, what the orange go and ahead. lines there, the orange and gray bars, So, that is, um, yeah, it got chopped off along the uh, the bottom here just a second, and I will, uh, uh, yeah. So the it's it's a, the the blue ones is they think they have mold. Uh, the forty percent or the orange one is um, I'm not sure, and the other ones is I don't. Oh, okay. okay. I don't think I have mold. Yeah, so we're running a little low on time. I'd really like to get uh, at least a five ten minute section here where we can talk about your current work with uh, military families. I think that's something you wanted to make sure we got to today. Can you tell listeners a little bit about the military advocacy work you're doing? I know we've we've all seen the the articles in the paper and on on the news about uh, military housing and some of the issues that are occurring and um, I'm really not sure exactly what you're doing with uh, the military housing folks right now but I wonder if you could tell listeners a little bit about what you're doing and then what you're learning from it. Okay yeah this is becoming very uh, more and more important. Uh, we became aware of it last spring uh, kind of a combination of uh, uh, us noticing on some of the uh, social media groups, uh, inter, uh, you know, people from the military, people from the military taking Hayward score and then contacting us. So it's kind of a, one of those, like everything else, what's the cause and what's the effect? Well, it kind of happens simultaneously. So Bill Hayward particularly uh, is very uh, concerned as I am about the effect of the indoor environment on people, as is the rest of the team, such as Dana Sabun, or um, COO and Joe Medosh. And so we've been working, uh, got, I, uh, got involved at all the different levels. Uh, we've, some of our team has been to the congressional hearings, the, the uh, Senate and House Armed Services Committee meetings. Uh, Secretary, of one of the uh, branches, has been out to to, to Bill's house, uh, a model house built to our standards, a couple of times. Uh, we, the team, uh, was taken on a tour of the barracks and another building at the Presidio in Monterey, California, a couple of months ago. Uh, Joe and Bill have actually been out to some houses to. Uh, do evaluation to see what is actually going on there. We've also worked uh, with uh, the spouses of uh, military. Uh, we, we had an actual training session in Atlanta in May to where we talked about not just what a healthy house is, but what a house is. And it was quite eye-opening to hear what the conditions are like in some of these houses, not 100% of them, but with a huge percentage of, of houses. And in fact, some of the team was just down at, uh, in Texas at a, a base earlier this week, uh, where the majority of the on-base and uh, housing had some significant problems to some severe problems. There's a big gap between what people know 
what the private housing people know, because most of the, almost all the housing now is by private companies, not under the control of the military. There's a congressional contract, the 50-year contract, the 10 years into it. Too complicated to go into all the intricacies of that, but that's one of the, that's looking like it's one of the big issues here. So we've worked at all the different levels, uh, 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 for the base, congressional, and uh, the spouses. And we've, we're starting to develop some ideas and some programs to help all of them. One of which that I'm about ready to, to release is a form that the spouses, when they file a work order for something that needs to be done in the house, when the workers come out, they can then document, here's my work order number, here's who came out. Uh, are they a member of any organization? Or do they have any training? Do they have any certifications? What standards are they using? Because one of the main complaints we're hearing is that people are saying they don't have training or they have training and then when they check, they, they find out they really don't or they're misusing the logo of a particular organization claiming to be a member or certified and they really aren't. So those organizations are really concerned about that. So everything that's happening, this big jumble of mostly things that could go wrong rather than could go right is happening. And we'll involve in that at several different ways at all, at, at, at all, all different levels. Carl, it, we're, we're running up against the, uh, the time here, but I, I did have one other question. I, I went to a presentation by uh, Tom, I think it was Bruni, I've got it here. And he was talking about uh, carpet. It was at the carpet conference I, I attended with uh, Karen Dannemiller over at Ohio State University, uh, Tom Bruton with the Green Science Policy Institute. He was talking about highly fluorinated chemicals used in carpet and um, how we would be better off not being exposed to them. His key point was that we need to make customers aware of why they should ask for products without certain chemicals. And, and I find that like an interesting take on the issue. Uh, they, they want to help consumers learn what questions to ask about the products they buy, in part because it takes so long to get some of these chemicals out of the supply line. He, you know, they were talking about the fact that it may take 15 years to change that chemical composition in carpet because of the fact that, you know, you've got people that buy products, they, uh, then, then they uh, have the manufacturing process, then it's in storage for a while, and then it goes out to a distributor, and then at some point it gets installed, and then uh, over time the people are exposed to whatever may be in that carpet. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were on, on that, and if um, you were doing any similar kind of work. Okay, that yeah, that's a, a an important topic, and it's going to relate back to dust because the title of this was oh, forget about evil dust or dust, dust demons or something. <laughs> yes. Uh, so if people go to Arlene Blom's uh, website, Arlene B L U M, it's just ArleneBlom.com. She's one of the leading researchers on chemicals, and she's come up with this very interesting um, categorization of chemicals. With over 80,000 chemicals in active use and only two or 3,000 even being studied individually, and virtually none of the combinations of chemicals being studied, let alone what happens when the chemical, like the proximity slide I showed, those chemicals from outside, what happens to the chemical reactions when it gets inside your body? What is all that about? Uh, well, she simplified it by creating six categories of chemicals. And uh, you can see this not only on her website, but also the one that's called greensciencepolicy.org. All one word, greensciencepolicy.org. And what has happened is that just this past 10 days, Home Depot has announced that as of a certain date, I don't remember what that date is, but soon they are going to stop selling carpet that has those chemicals in it. 
Hmm. So that's very powerful. And there's, there's chemicals in some other products that people like Home Depot and Lowe's and others, uh, uh, they're going to stop selling products that have those chemicals in it. And so a lot more and more of the manufacturers are now saying, we're going to replace it. It's just like, you know, uh, 15 years or so ago with the urea formaldehyde rosin in OSB and particle board, and they gradually switched that to phenol formaldehyde. So the outgassing is less. We've got Z low VOC paint and zero VOC paint now, where it used to be all oil-based, solvent-based, and then lead-based paint. So it's gradually moving. People like Arlene is uh, really making a difference. And this, where I bring it back to the dust, the, back in the 1800s, the literature there shows that in the UK especially, they recognized that dampness was a problem, the rising damp, but they also noticed that dust was a problem and the combination was even more so. And they actually called it evil dust. These kinds of things that were affecting people was evil to them. But again, the direct experience minus the science is this is bad. We need to do something about it. What do you do? Why it's bad? That's what the science needs to discover. But we don't have to wait for that before we manage the dampness and we keep the dust levels down. And one of the reasons, bringing it back to the title of the show, dust is not just dust. It's not just house dust. It's not just these inert particles. First of all, labs under a microscope can identify as many as 230 different substances that are in ordinary house dust. If you send a, a slide, uh, a, a, a sample of house dust, there's up to 230 or so specific substances that can be identified. And the chemicals like from the carpets, uh, uh, pesticides, fire retardants, all those sorts of chemicals, the finding in dust. And they had a whole series of presentations in Lithuania at the ISEAC ISES uh, conference on those chemicals in dust. They had one of the presentations was where they brought in the various factors from the engineering and research and measurement people to come up with the criteria to measure all this and not just the volatile chemicals we're all familiar with, but with the semi-volatile ones that they're finding in dust. Semi-volatile means that they don't evaporate real quickly and are gone. They don't even start for a week or two or so, and then they gradually increase. And that's where the long-term exposure is occurring. And it's not just that they find it in dust, but this is where we get our exposure is from dust. The evil dust, the demon dust, so to speak. So circling back to what I presented at the uh, uh, cleaning, um, in, uh, cleaning Industry Research Institute on dust is this is something that's new, fairly new, but the research, medical research is out there. The ultrafine particles of whatever is all in there is now strongly associated to almost to the point of causation of association between inhalation of ultrafine particles of dust and cardiovascular disease, okay? And they're also finding now these particles are physically migrating up through the blood-brain barrier into the brain. Dust is not just the lungs and COPD and asthma. It's now they're finding it with cardiovascular they don't know exactly what's happening with the brain and cognition, but something is going on there. And that seems to be trending. My personal opinion is that that's kind of trending to where dust is going to be kind of that common denominator like moisture is. It's not just mold. It's moisture. Dust is going to be, my prediction is that dust is going to be another one of those foundational uh, uh, common factors similar to moisture. Interesting, Carl. Carl, that was, I think you kind of gave me uh, what you'd like to add before we go, but I just wanted to make sure I give you the final, any final thoughts, anything we missed that you'd like to add? We, we could have gone on for another hour. I, I didn't even get to about half the questions. 
<laughs> right. Um, I think the number one thing is, uh, you know, get get on the website HaywardSchool.com and start learning about your own house. Uh, one of the people that I was talking with this week is actually a product manufacturer, and they were talking about a presentation that they did, and they were talking about ventilation and indoor health and uh, moisture control and so forth. And one of the people uh, in the audience said, well, how do I find out about my house? All the science that's out there, all this information, even what we've got with the charts that I showed you is in general, a large group or a subgroup. What about my house? How do I find out about my house? We'll go spend 15 minutes or so. It's a free website. We aren't selling anything. We don't charge you for doing it. Go through the questions. You're going to learn a lot just by questions that are asked and thinking about, oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't know that would be important. Do I have a forced air system and where is it located? I can't tell you how many people say, yeah, I got forced air system. Where is it located? Attic, crawl space, garage? And they say, I don't know. So that means that they aren't changing the filter or they don't have a filter at all. There's all kinds of information and things that you think of. Just, just thought, what about my house? And go find out. Great point, Carl. Cliff, before we go, any final thoughts, questions? Well, Joe, on February 16th, 2007, you and I interviewed Lloyd Weaver. We asked him about the future, and his one word was, it's the dust. Great point. Lloyd, Lloyd was ahead of his time, continues to be. Huh? That was an awesome point, Cliff. And without taking more time, his name just came up in the history of standards that I was at a conference in Vegas this past week. And he's another one of these people, the pioneers that knew it ahead of time. He didn't have the, he didn't have the science. He didn't have the epidemiology but he had enough direct experience personally and in his business to pay attention and be curious and ask questions and say, what about this? Well said. Mm -hmm. Carl Grimes, thank you so much for joining us this week on IAQ Radio. Plus, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you at the Healthy Building Summit a couple weeks from now. We'll be at Seven Springs Resort talking about practice to research. Uh, we're going to actually put some proceedings together this year and uh, try and see if we can't help kind of guide some of the future research out there. I think, uh, I think we can uh, maybe help the, the researchers help us. So looking forward to seeing you there. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick at the controls. John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners will be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.